You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello and welcome to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Once again, it is Garrett Ashley Mullet here talking to you from Greeley, Colorado. It is Monday, March 15th, 2021, and it is a snow day. Roads are closed going out to the plant, and so I am working from home. I touched base with my supervisor and the plant manager, talked a little bit with the measurement technician who lives in Windsor, who tried to get out to work and was driving two miles before he saw five cars in the ditch. So, that is just not going to work out. We're going to be working from home if we can at all possibly manage that today. And the work will be there for us tomorrow that we have to do out at the plant. So let's dig into a topic today. My wife sent me an article from the Imaginative Conservative this weekend. She sent it to me actually, I think Friday. I didn't read it until yesterday evening. And I want to talk about it. I want to read through that piece and do a little bit of response, respond to it. And I also want to talk a little bit more about Valheim, this Viking survival game I've been playing with my sons and also some friends of mine, some family of mine. And uh, we're going to give you an update. I enjoyed doing the Valheim episode here Oh, gosh, what was it? A week ago, a couple weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, something like that. If you want to go back and listen to the episode Playing Valheim with the Boys, that was February 26. So we're going to give you an update on how the game is going, what we have learned, what we have figured out, and we'll just see how that goes, right? We'll see what we think of the progress so far, what we still think of the game, if we still think the things that we thought originally, if we are still enjoying it. I'll give you a little bit of a a teaser on how the weekend playing went with my sons. But first of all, let's get into this imaginative conservative piece that my wife sent me. The piece is titled, In the Beginning Are the Words, Language and Liberty by Joseph Pierce. It was published March 5th, 2021 in the Imaginative Conservative blog. I will go ahead and read through this, and then we'll talk a little bit about what my thoughts are regarding the topic, and we'll see what you guys think. So starting off from the top, he says, One of the most powerful lessons that J.R.R. Tolkien teaches in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings is that the things possessed can possess the possessor. This addictive possessiveness, or what might be called crass materialism, is known as the dragon sickness in The Hobbit. It afflicts not only the dragon Smaug, but several other characters. In The Lord of the Rings, this dragon sickness manifests itself in the power of the ring, in which those who covet the ring's power become subject to the very power they hope to obtain, possessed by their possessiveness so that they become possessed by their possession of it. This lesson is a reiteration of the lesson that Christ teaches that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. It is therefore important that we learn to desire those treasures which are truly good for our souls and not those which will imperil them. One of the most important treasures to desire is the possession of words. Words are necessary because they are the very things 
with which we do our thinking and liberate us from the slavery of ignorance. We can only make sense of the world and our place within it if we have the vocabulary to articulate our thoughts. It's not simply that we need words to communicate with others. We need words, first and foremost, to communicate with ourselves. If we are unable to make sense of the complexity of our situation because we do not have the words in our mind to articulate what's going on in our lives, we're doomed to the sort of frustration which leads to despondency and despair and rage and violence, which are their toxic fruits. Since this is so, one of the primary goals of education should be the enrichment of students through their acquisition of words. The goal should be to encourage them to increase their vocabulary or to employ the language of the Anglo-Saxons to add to their word hoard. The more words they possess, the more they will be able to understand the goodness, truth, and beauty of reality. And this means that the acquisition of new words should be an integral part of education at all levels and not merely at the elementary level. As an illustration of this, one of the pieces of advice that I give to those wishing to improve their writing skills is that they should read good books. The fact is that you write as well as you read, not least because good books exhibit a rich and grandiloquent vocabulary enabling us to acquire the wealth with <clears throat> which each new word bestows upon us. And what is true of the ability to write well is true of the ability to think well. It is a fact that we think as well as we read. And since the ability to communicate with others is dependent on the ability to communicate with ourselves through the eloquence of our thoughts, we might also say that we speak as well as we read. All of the foregoing illustrates that an ongoing part of all education should be the reading of the great works in one's native tongue. For English speakers, this means reading Shakespeare, whose grandiloquence is unequaled, and also other great masters of the language, Don, Herbert, Crashaw, Milton, Dryden, Pope, Dr. Johnson, Wordsworth, Coleridge, Austin, Newman, Dickens, Hopkins, Chesterton, Belloc, Eliot, Tolkien, etc. It's not only the wisdom to be found in these works that will enrich us, but the gift of new words which we will add to our own personal word hordes. Unlike the possession of many things which may prove perilous to the mind and the soul, the possession of more words only makes us richer. In short and in sum, the wealth that words bestow upon us is the power to better understand who we are and where we fit into the wider scheme of things, our purpose and our place in the cosmos. To conclude on a metaphysical note, we can say that the beauty of words is that they give us access to the goodness of truth. In the beginning was the word, and the words are the way that the word can be better understood and communicated. It is for this reason that the learning of words should be at the heart of all true education. <clears throat> and I quote, Joseph Pierce, if I scroll down to the About the Author section of the page, I read, he is a senior contributor at the Imaginative Conservative, Conservative rather, a native of England. Mr. Pierce is director of book publishing at the Augustan Institute, editor of the St. Austin Review, and series editor of the Ignatius Critical Editions. He's the author of numerous books, which include The Quest for Shakespeare, Tolkien, Man and Myth, the Unmasking of Oscar Wilde, C.S. Lewis and the Catholic Church, Literary Converts, Wisdom and Innocence, A Life of G.K. Chesterton, Solzhenitsyn, A Soul in Exile, Old Thunder, A Life of Hilaire Balloch, and further up, further in, Understanding Narnia. Visit his personal website at jpierce.co. Okay, so we have now read through this entire piece, and I want to go back through a couple of key passages here. But first, just to give you some kind of a context for why my wife sent this to me. <clears throat> so we are part of the Truth, Beauty, Goodness, TBG, 
homeschool group here in Greeley slash Evans, Colorado. And the ladies who are the homeschooling mothers and uh, the ones running the show, really, at the TBG homeschool group here have a group chat that they keep up on, or a few group chats, probably, I think, with uh, a platform called Voxer. And so they talk about books that they're reading, and they talk about things that they're trying to plan and figure out with the way that they're educating their children. And one of the discussions here recently was this article. And one of the gals, the gal that leads up the group, she sent this article to the other ladies. And they had a pretty lively discussion from what my wife tells me, from what little excerpts she read for me from their back and forth. Some in the group agreed with the sentiment in this Joseph Pierce piece, and some thought that it was mistaken. And so they had a lively discussion, and then the discussion was over. And I thought to myself, well, there's more that could have been discussed and fleshed out there. And I'm curious what my gun group text messaging, private messaging group would have to say about this. And so knowing that some of the husbands of these ladies that head up this small group are in my gun group, private message group, I thought, well, I'm just going to go ahead and send them the link and say, hey, what do you guys think about this? I had some notion, some expectation of what a few of them would say based on what their wives said or what my wife shared of their wives' comments. And I hope none of the above will mind that uh, I'm talking about this. I'm not going to share in-depth quotes from anybody's private messages. I don't think that would be appreciated if I were in their shoes, so I'm not going to do that. But we had a bit of a discussion last night about it, and... So here we are, right? Here's this piece that I'm thinking about. The first thing I want to say with relation to the topic is that I don't think a larger vocabulary necessarily means that you're going to be better able to articulate the truth. I don't think it necessarily means that you're going to have a better grasp of what is beautiful and what is good in the universe. I don't think a larger vocabulary is necessarily always a good thing or a mark of greater intelligence and less ignorance. It could be, it may be, but it doesn't necessarily follow that you're going to have more words at your command, you're going to have a larger word hoard, and that's going to translate into a better understanding. You might be very eloquent, you might be very verbose, you might be the guy that has the highest word scores in Scrabble of anybody you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a better grasp of reality. I think there are some worthy points in the piece. For instance, I think that it's fair to point out that the word in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh right? That is referring to Christ. It's also referring to how God creates the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Those first six days in Genesis, God speaks. He says, let there be, and fill in the blank. Let there be light, and there was light, right? He speaks, and that is the kind of authority that God has, is that when he speaks, things happen. Things are so, because That's all it takes for him. 
There is an exception when it comes to man where God doesn't just speak. He creates man in a more intimate way with his hands, presumably. He takes dust of the ground. He takes the soil and he forms it into a man and he breathes the breath of life into this man, almost like CPR. He creates man in a much more intimate way, presumably with his hands and with his breath. And I think in a similar vein, you could say that sometimes the problems that we encounter or the situations for which we need a creative solution, sometimes those problems and those situations call for words and we need to use our words and we need to articulate what is true and good and beautiful in an effective way. And if we don't have the words, we need to find somebody who does. If we don't have language to describe and properly outline and define the problem, how are we going to have the language to present an effective solution? But also, there are times where what is needed is not more talk. What is needed is not more language. What is needed is more action, a little less conversation, a little more action. So this piece here, I think, has some of the picture for us, but there is more to the story than what is being laid out here by Mr. Pierce. With respect, it looks like he's a very knowledgeable fellow who has written quite a lot, and he's probably a very fine fellow. And maybe this is why he has tried so hard to increase his vocabulary. It's because he wants to be able to do these sorts of things. He wants to be able to articulate what is true and beautiful and good more effectively. But it doesn't necessarily follow that everybody is similarly motivated. Some people expand their vocabulary just so they have bragging rights. Some people expand the word count in their sentences in a similar way to rednecks putting larger tires on their trucks. It isn't so much about being effective at a certain point. It's about the aesthetic. It's about fashion over form. Sometimes less is more. And if we assume that more words is going to make us wiser, we might just be missing the point. I don't think it's about the size of your vocabulary. I think it is about how you use your vocabulary and why. A larger vocabulary from which to draw might be just the ticket, but sometimes not. Sometimes we need somebody who speaks plainly, and their reflections on a situation might be all the better for being plain-spoken, for being straightforward, for being to the point, for being succinct, and for being punctuated with action. Some of the things that are in the scriptures we can know by reading and meditating and talking and conversing and praying, but some of the things in the scriptures I'm convinced we can only really understand by acting, and this is what James talks about in the New Testament. He says, don't be hearers of the word only and so deceive yourselves. Be doers of the word. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Sometimes what is needed is more words. Sometimes what is needed is that we put those words into practice and we live them out. And yes, somebody can say, we need to hear the words. We need to hear the gospel. We need to hear preaching. We need to hear the call for repentance. We need to hear the promises of God. We need to hear about who God is, what his character is, where we come from, what's our purpose here? What is his plan for us? What does he want us to be doing? 
but that's not all there is to it. And so there's two sides of this coin, and I think there's a little bit in the conversation that I was privy to between the men and the women. There's a little bit of maybe talking past one another, possibly, maybe not, but that's my thought anyways. That's all I've got to say about that. If you have something else to say about it, I'll throw a link in the description for this podcast. You can read the article for yourself in case I read through it a little bit too quickly. But moving on. My sons and I are still playing this Viking survival game called Valheim. And enjoying it quite a lot, actually. We had some frustrating times over the weekend, and I'll explain what I mean by that and what happened. But for the most part, we've really been enjoying the game. There's a lot of things to do. There's a lot of teamwork that we can throw into our efforts. There's a lot of things that have to be gathered and crafted. And when it comes to fighting ever-increasingly challenging monsters that are in this world, we have to work together, we have to figure out strategies, and we have to assemble our Avengers team to do battle. And so a couple of landmarks here recently, me and my boys and my friend Paul and his boys, six of us all together, stormed a dungeon in the swamp biome. We stormed a dungeon and we killed a number of zombies and skeletons, killed a wraith, killed some leeches, we killed some sirtlings, we killed a number of things that were trying to kill us. We would have been, I think, just as happy to leave them alone, except that they were in the way of something that we needed to acquire in order to continue advancing through this game. And so they attacked, and we fought them off, and we defeated them. There were a number of casualties on our side, and that uh, continued to be more and more the case when we moved on from basically storming this dungeon and bringing the stuff back to our main base to going into another biome called the Plains Biome, wherein there are these giant man-sized mosquitoes that will buzz down and they'll impale you and you're dead. One hit, you're dead. Maybe two if you're lucky, if it's an indirect hit. We also died to these little goblin creatures called furlings. They're short, little, mischievous monsters that attack in packs, and they swing these little clubs, and they throw spears and and things like that. They're ugly little things that uh, are just happy to kill you with one shot. And we clearly were not equipped to be fighting them. We did kill some, but more than that, we were killed many times trying to set up a portal so that we could travel fast back and forth between this plains biome and our main base. We eventually, after several unsuccessful tries and several attempts to go back and get our bodies, recollect our stuff, because you respawn, but you have to go and get your stuff again back where you died. That'll teach you. That'll learn you. Uh, After several unsuccessful attempts where we would rebuild the portal and then these monsters of all shapes and sizes and colors would attack it and destroy it. We eventually settled on building a little house and then putting the portal inside of that and then digging with a pickaxe a trench around this house so that the creatures couldn't get up in there, put it out of reach of them. And then you can spawn and you can go back and forth 
and you're fairly safe, you're fairly secure from these bad guys. But an interesting thing, a couple of interesting things we did in addition to that, we got scrap iron back from the swamp and we smelted that and turned it into iron ore. And once we had iron ore in our hands, we were able to make a lot of really cool stuff. Like for instance, a stone cutter, that was my favorite by far. I've been the designated builder for our team on our server. And I have been very excited to build up our base, make it cool, make it functional, have buildings and have crafting stations and have places for things and have it be organized and have it be defensible from monsters that are going to attack when we're in our base to make it look cool, make it look epic, make it look like something that you want to come home to that inspires you. It makes you feel like you've got a place to call home in the game. So I've been doing that, and then all of a sudden we get a stone cutter, and I was able to build the first stone building that we've been able to make in the game. Otherwise, up to that point, we were only able to build with wood, and we went through a lot. We went through a lot of lumber. Thousands of pieces of lumber went into building our bases. We've got little outposts throughout the map as far as we've explored it thus far. And this base now, we have a big stone structure, that's a little bit of a barracks, and we've got a throne, a raven throne that we were able to build, put that in the upstairs, put our trophies up there, have it be neat, have it be cool, put bunk beds, I built bunk beds so that we've got a spawn point that we can go back to when we load the game, or when we die, we start there, and uh, it was just fun, it was, it was cool, it was really cool. My son also built a Viking longship, which is the third... Uh, ship that you can build. You start off with only a raft, and that's not very strong, and it's not very fast. You build that, and you can kind of get around, but you better hope you don't get into a storm or that a sea serpent doesn't come along and try and wreck your day. Then you can move from that up to a carve, which is kind of a small vessel that has some storage in it and goes a little bit faster. It's got a little bit more capacity. It's a little stronger. And then the longship is even faster still, and you can outrun things. You've got a fair amount of girth, a fair amount of strength to that ship to where you're able to withstand some storms and take some damage before you have to worry about sinking. And then you've got a lot of storage capacity too. So that's exciting. That's going to expand our capabilities when it comes to mining operations because there's a lot of these things that we're collecting as we're trying to build up our inventory of copper and tin and iron now you can't teleport with that. So you make these teleport uh, portals that are kind of like Stargate. You, if you remember watching the sci-fi movie Stargate, you have this portal that you walk through it and then all of a sudden you're somewhere else where there's another portal that's connected to that portal. And so you can make these portals in the game and they allow you to fast travel across the map. So you don't have to just hoof it uh, all the time you can very quickly go back and forth between the various islands that you've discovered. It's a big, big map. You don't want to have to travel by foot all the time or even by boat all the time if you can help it. But if you travel and in your travels you collect some metal, some ore that you haven't made into weapons or armor or something like that, you can't teleport with it. You have no choice but to take the long way home or back to wherever you've got a charcoal kiln and a smelter that you can refine this and then you've got a forge that you can use 
to make your refined metals into useful stuff. And so if we've got a big Viking longship, we're going to be able to load that thing up with the supplies to make a forward operating base, to make maybe a kiln and a smelter in some faraway land where there's a plentiful supply of metals nearby. And then we can smelt and we can maybe take the forge stuff with us if we want to, or if that's not working out, if it's a little too hot there, we can load everything up into the Viking longship, load up all of the ore that it can carry, and sail on back to our main original base where we've really got things dug in and fortified. We've got a moat, we've got walls up, we've got a lot of buildings, we've got a lot of infrastructure that we've put there, and we'll be able to smelt and craft and regroup to our heart's content. So that's kind of the idea there with the longship. And uh, excited about that, excited to kind of just explore more and work together because there's a lot of working together that you have to figure out. And me as a father of six sons and a daughter, my daughter's not necessarily interested in playing this game, but my four older boys are. And so they're taking turns two at a time as long as their schoolwork is done, as long as their chores are done, and as long as they are relating to one another and to their mother and I in a respectful way, then they get a certain amount of time. They get everything done, and let's set a timer. Let's say half an hour. Let's say an hour. And they get to jump on. If it's two of them and me, the three of us are going to try and work together to gather resources, put stuff together. We're going to try and cook up some recipes that give us better strength or give us a resistance to poison or to frost or things like that or give us more stamina, give us more hit points. We're going to try and assemble uh, the materials that we need to be able to make what we need in the game. We're going to explore together, and if we get into trouble, then two or three of us together are going to be able to survive a lot better than if it's just one of us trying to go it alone. And in order to survive together, though, it's more than just being in proximity that's required. You have to kind of coordinate. You have to communicate. So I bought two inexpensive little microphones from Walmart, and I set those up on each of their computers. We've got a laptop that can handle the game. So we plug one of the microphones into that. And then my wife's computer is downstairs. It's pretty much a copy of my computer upstairs with a few little differences here and there. So we plug one of the mics into that. And then I use my podcasting microphone to communicate with them and to throw on headphones. Uh, each of them do, I do. And then we can communicate back and forth over chat to coordinate our efforts. Hey, I'm running into trouble here. Hey, watch out over there. I'm watching your back. There's somebody coming. There's a whole bunch of somebody's coming. We should run. Hey, do you have any of this? I'm out of arrows. Can you pass me some arrows? Hey, I found such and such. Do we want to work on that now? How are we going to work together, right? So there's a lot of potential in the game to coordinate and to develop teamwork skills, to develop the ability to accomplish complicated objectives together, to problem solve, to face opposition, to face threats, to keep our heads about us, and to conquer the world together. This is a game. This isn't real life. But that actually is all for the best if we're going to try and learn these lessons in a simulator. When I was growing up, I used to watch Star Trek The Next Generation a lot. That was my favorite show. If I was in trouble and I wasn't going to get a spanking or get grounded from Legos, I was going to get grounded from Star Trek The Next Generation. And one of the things I thought was so cool about Star Trek The Next Generation was 
that they had what was called a holodeck. If you've never seen the show, the holodeck was a simulator that you could basically program to take you to some place else, right? To recreate Venice in the 1600s. And now you're going to go into the holodeck as your recreation, and you're going to be all dressed up like you are somebody that lived in Venice in the 1600s. Or maybe you want to go and pay a simulation of William Shakespeare a visit, and you're going to go in the holodeck, and it's going to recreate William Shakespeare, and you get to talk with him and interact with him and have an adventure. Data liked to do the simulation or the holodeck program for Sherlock Holmes. He would play Sherlock Holmes. And so it was this little interruption that was interwoven within these episodes of Star Trek where they're out in space and they're doing stuff. They're trying to accomplish things. They're exploring. They're conquering or whatever. And interspersed in the episodes, they are going into the holodeck. And so they get to change gears all of a sudden. And all of a sudden, there's something historical and there's something variety-wise that's more than just aliens and lasers and photon torpedoes, et cetera, et cetera. So where that relates to this is this Viking survival game, as far as I'm concerned, is a little holodeck. So we sit on our computers and we navigate. We're working together. We're going to try to imagine being a Viking. And let's imagine we're a Viking and we're trying to work together. How are we going to work together? Mm, Look at the skies. It looks pretty cloudy. It looks like it's about to storm. Maybe we don't go sailing just yet. Let's wait until the sky's clear. Which way is the wind blowing? Okay, it's not a favorable wind. We might need to wait to take off in that direction until the winds are a little bit more favorable. But I'm going to watch, pay attention to the winds, pay attention to the skies. We're going to learn a few things. We're going to have to be intentional. We're going to have to think ahead. We're going to have to plan. Hey, we're going to go raid this swamp and try and bring back scrap iron. What do we have? Do we have enough food for the trip? Do we have good armor, good weapons? Do we have a good team assembled? Do we each know kind of what we're going to do once we get in there, that we're going to work together, we're going to accomplish this, we're all going to come back out alive, we're going to come back out alive with the objective accomplished that we set out to achieve? Are we going to go back and forth all the way from this far-flung part of the map to our home base? Or do we want to set up a forward operating base? How close should we set up our forward operating base, our outpost? Should we set it up as close as possible? Well, if it's really dangerous in there, we might want to back up a little bit, have it be closer than our main base, but far enough away to where it's not constantly getting attacked and torn apart and torn down. Maybe that's what we want to do. Maybe we want to think about this a little bit strategically. Maybe we need to talk about tactics. Maybe we need to talk about an after-action report with that game we were playing with the Pavliks and us on Saturday. We went into the planes, and we were not ready. We weren't ready to be fighting there, the kinds of creatures that were there to fight. We had just gotten some iron, but we don't have any iron tools. We don't have any iron weapons. We don't have any iron armor. We're still in the Bronze Age, and we're going up against high-level stuff that we're not ready to fight. And then, oh, also, we ran out of food. So while we're busy, go, 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 nobody's hunting, nobody's cooking, nobody's stockpiling food. We've run out of food. Well, that's not going to work, right? We need to pause, slow down, take a step back. So that's what we did. Saturday night, I had my wife's uh, homemade pizza there. 
for all of us. She makes homemade pizzas on Saturday nights. It's a kind of a routine that we've developed here the past several months, and she makes really good pizzas. So she made stuffed crust pizzas for the first time. That was delicious. It was fantastic. We had pizzas, and we sat down in our dining room, and we've got a big whiteboard on the wall. And I just went around the table. I said, hey, guys, let's talk about what worked, what didn't work today. What do we want to keep doing that we figured out today? And also, what do we maybe need to do a little bit differently next time based on some of what happened? Maybe we need to talk about this. And maybe we need to use our words. Maybe we need to find the language for this. And that's where all of the Valheim stuff, I think, ties in with this piece from the imaginative conservative that I read for you at the beginning. There is a place for action in life. And there's a place for words and communication and language. And Ideally, you put the two together and your actions are going to be more effective and also your words are going to be more effective. Now, that whole story I just told you about playing this Viking survival game, wasn't it interesting? Wasn't that fun? Right? I had fun talking about it, but it was words, but it was also action. I'm telling you actions. We built a Viking longship. I built a stone barracks. We stormed a dungeon. We died repeatedly to these little furlings and these mosquitoes, right? Whatever, right? Like we acted, we did stuff. We ran out of food because nobody was hunting. That's action. That's stuff to do. And so life is part of that. We are supposed to act and not only talk about acting. In all work, there is a profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. At a certain point, you have to stop talking and you have to do something productive. And what do you know? People might be more ready to listen to what you have to say if you've actually got something to show them. Don't give them that whole business about do as I say, not as I do. If you're not doing anything, that's not going to help to illustrate the things you're trying to explain. So anyway, that's all I've got for this episode. Let me know what you think. Hit me up. Send me a voice message on Anchor. Shoot me an email, garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Leave a comment at thegarrettashleymulletshow.com. If you're in the Colorado area, be safe out there on the roads if you have to go out. If you still have power out and you live near us, let me know if you need to come on over and warm up. You and your family, you're welcome here. But until next time, thanks. God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you heard today, visit the homepage for On The Rocks blog at onthe.rocks. Also, check out On The Rocks blog podcast with Micah Hirschberger, weekly on Anchor FM. If you haven't yet done so, hit subscribe to this podcast also. And you can reach Garrett Ashley Mullet with any comments, questions, or complaints at garrettmullet at gmail.com. Hello, this is Garrett Ashley Mullet, host of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM, and also chief editor and writer at On The Rocks blog since 2015. I have just published my first book. It is available on paperback and Kindle from Amazon.com right now. Are you thinking about homeschooling? Is someone you know considering it? No shortage of books will help you figure out how to do it. 
This is a book about why you should. Written from the perspective of a homeschooling father of seven who was himself homeschooled growing up, this is an encouragement to fathers and mothers to think rightly about their children's education. What our children believe about God, themselves, one another, and the universe, these are all features of their education, and the worldview our children develop is downstream of the sort of education they receive. And this is why we homeschool. Maybe you are a parent of homeschooling children and you could use some encouragement. Perhaps your local school shut down and now remote learning or homeschooling has been forced on you. Now you could use some help finding motivation to make the best of it. Or maybe you have a friend or family member considering homeschooling their children. Rather than starting you off with another home education how-to, let us start with why we homeschool. And as we figure out the reasons we should do this thing, the way to do it will be made far easier. Just go right on over to Amazon.com and type in, and this is why we homeschool in the search results. It'll come right up. Order your copy today.